This morning as we are together, we can get our Bibles out open to 1 John chapter 4. All the way at the end of your New Testament, page 1401 in the Pew Bible in front of you. So you can follow along in 1 John 4. As you're turning there, I want you to think about how for for all of us, the biggest moments in our lives, in the moment when they occur, we don't really have any idea of how significant they're going to be, do we? Think about For example, when we get married, when I got married, by the way, 29 years ago today, today, amen. But when I got married, of course, I knew it was a big moment. You know, here we were all dressed up. We invited all the people that were closest to us, went through all the uh, procedures of getting everything organized and together so that that day would be, you know, everything that we had hoped it would be. But 29 years later, I realized how oblivious I was in that moment to how profoundly God would use Lisa to make me into the person that I am today. See, it just... There's no way I could have realized in that moment what the next 29 years would hold. It's like becoming a father. It's another example. I knew that moment was big. I knew that moment was special. But again, in the moment, I vastly underestimated the impact that it would have on my life. You think about moments that we share together. Like the first Rescue 100 training. I knew that was a big moment. I knew that that was a, a, a special moment. But did I have any idea how God would use that? How God would use our church? And the scope of the impact that that would have across the state and even across other states? I, I couldn't have known in the moment. The first time I came to church here in that little building over there where our students gather. I could have never realized that some 26, 27 years later, this would be where we are. I sense that a few years from now, we'll look back on today and we will realize that when we launched 439503, we didn't have any idea what God would do and how God might use it and who it would affect and how it would affect them. When we align our hearts with the heart of God, His 
joy and delight is to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we could ever ask or think. And this is an example of our hearts aligning with the heart of God. For I stand here this morning, a saved, born-again child of God, because the God of the universe pursued me and found me and saved me. But how did he do that? He chose to use a believing wife who grew up in a believing home. And do you know how that believing home first believed? Because this young military family out in California got an invitation in their mailbox to go to church. And I just wonder how many there are in 39503 just waiting for an invitation. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time together this morning. Father, we do thank you for it is a it's a true reality in our lives that we so oftentimes have no idea of the weight and the significance of the moments that we find ourselves in. But we we want to, Lord, we try. And so this morning, our heart's desire is to be fully present in this moment. To hear what it is you have to say. To be where you have sovereignly placed us, Lord. And not to miss anything that's available to us through you. So, Lord, will you give us ears to hear. And will you take command and control of this time, of my voice, of my thoughts. And then speak to your people the things that you would have them to hear. And Lord, we promise to give you the honor and the glory and the praise for everything that is accomplished because we know it is not of us but only of you. And we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 1 John 4, let's read together. Beginning in verse 7. 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that He might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... 
God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Amen. So we're going to talk a little bit about love this morning and I want you to consider how love is a reflection of the glory of God present with us on earth. It's the foundation of our being. It's the reason for our existing and the core of the message that we want others to know. You see, the most basic desire in our life is to be loved. Yet if you think about it, think about every person who's born is born with the basic essential desire to be loved, yet there's a thousand different opinions about what love actually is. And there's even more opinions about how one might find it. Now, how could there be so much confusion about something so important? And I believe the reason is because the Bible would teach us that we're not made for a love of this world. We're made for a different kind of love. A love that makes us feel totally secure. A love that's so powerful that when we find it, it actually brings us into the reality of our new identity and purpose for existing. A love that seems at times impossible to put into words. Or to describe all of the ways in which it's transformed us. Especially in a world that hurts us so regularly and often so deeply. So here's the reality. This is what the Bible teaches about us. Is that we were all born dissatisfied. We were born into dissatisfaction because we're born into a world of ordinary love. So if you get your listening guides out, let's talk about this ordinary love. It's a love that seeks value in the one loved. Ordinary love seeks value in the one loved. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that, that ordinary love is the love that kids have for the ice cream man. Kids love the ice cream man for one reason. They don't care what his name is. They don't care what his uh, background is. They don't care what his nationality is. They don't even care what kind of mood he's in. They only care about one thing. Does he have ice cream? That's the only thing they care about. Unless you think the ice cream man is a thing of the past, you would be wrong. Because even when it's 50 degrees outside, the lunatic is driving around my neighborhood. I think of all the things that my childhood are gone, but not 
the ice cream man. He's still trying to make a dollar. He's still tormenting all of us parents. We hear the little doo-doo-doo-doo-doo, and all of a sudden the kids start looking around, and you just reach in your pocket like, okay, you know, still going. But that's ordinary love. See, some of us grew up in homes that were built on ordinary love. It's I love you when you make me proud. I love you when you do what I ask you to do. I love you when you behave. And so we've learned in this world of ordinary love how to be people of ordinary love. That to be loved, we need to bring value to the relationship. That's how we are loved. And so what happens is there's, there's a trade. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but it's a transaction. Ordinary love is a transactional love. It See, what happens is we, we get married and our marriages start in the beginning operating on this principle. I'm going to love you as long as you love me. I'm going to love you as long as you return my love with something else. And so we start trading. See, I take out the trash, you do the dishes. It's a transaction. I could possibly have some brand new parents in my family who have some major bartering going on right now. In the middle of the night, when the little princess starts waking up, 3 a.m., they're literally doing paper, rock, scissors over who's going to get up and rock her back to sleep. It's a transaction. I hear them going, you know, oh, what's that smell? Or I have her and I go, mommy and daddy. And then it's, well, I changed the last one. Or, you know, how come I keep getting the number two diapers? It's a transaction. I'm going to bring value as long as you bring value. That's how it works. I worked all day. You cook dinner. It's a transaction. If you don't cook dinner, then I'm going to be not so in love with you. If I don't go to work, you're going to be not so in love with me. But here's the problem. Ordinary love doesn't work because it doesn't last. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this is a great conversation for us to have this morning. There's a lot of problems with ordinary love. Here's, here's the first problem. The first problem with ordinary love is that it, it leaves people out. There are certain quadrants of people that are excluded from ordinary love. Have you ever thought about this? You see, in ordinary love, what happens to the person who maybe has a disability or an illness or some chronic situation that, that doesn't allow them to bring value to the relationship? What happens to a person who is maybe at one time brought value to the relationship, but now is, finds themselves at their lowest possible moment in life and has nothing to offer, doesn't have any resources, doesn't have anything to bring to the relationship. 
And you know what ordinary love does? It, the ice cream man just drives on by because you don't have any money. You see, there's a transaction. And there come situations in life where people, certain people in certain situations aren't able to bring value. And so, see, if you think about it, when we learn to trade love, when we learn this ordinary love, it can never last. It always ends. It always ends. It can only end. Because there's going to eventually come a point where someone in the relationship is going to go, you know, this is no longer working for me. You're no longer bringing enough value to this relationship. What you used to bring was good then, but now it's insufficient. And see, this is why ordinary love doesn't work with God. It can't work with God. Although we all come into this, when we first so, sort of enter into this place where we have the, this idea of the reality of God, we enter in with ordinary love in our pockets. We approach God initially thinking this is going to be like all the other relationships in our life. It's going to be one based on ordinary love. And how do we know that? We know that because... We ask questions like, well, how good is good enough? Have I done enough? Am I faithful enough? Have I been religious enough? You see, what, the, what those questions are all asking is, do I have enough in my pockets to trade you for something else? Can I afford a relationship with you? Somehow is there enough that I bring to the table that you would accept me? We're trying to bring our value to him. It's a transaction. And whenever we do that, you know what we find ourselves? In a sea of insecurity. See, that's why there's so many people who know God, who attend church who are religious but they have no they have no security they don't know there there's no they have no confidence that when they take their last breath they're gonna be face to face with God it's because they bring ordinary love into the relationship you'll never be secure in ordinary love it it can't make you secure It'll fill your heart with fear because it doesn't work and it certainly won't. It won't last in a human relationship and it won't work at all with God. So what God does is he describes a different kind of love, the kind of love that we were made for, the kind of love that creates an environment where we're born into disappointment because we don't have it. Look in this passage, look at verse 10, 1 John 4, verse 10. Look how God, through the apostle John, describes this. Verse 10 says, in this is love, 
not that we loved God. Do you see that? Now, this is a fascinating passage right here because it would seem that if we just love God and He would love us back, then there would be this ordinary love. In other words, that there would be some in this is love, that we made this, there was this transaction that happened. But notice the Bible says not that we loved God. See, it wasn't that God did something for us and that created this, you know, he brings something, we bring something back and forth. But that he loved us. Now think about this. If we love God, well, what does that mean? Well, of course we would love God because He's God because He brings everything to the table. He brings all the things to the table that we don't have. So, of course, we would love Him because look at all that He brings to the table. So, in our ordinary love state, we come to God like, wow, look at all this God has. So, we're asking, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Do I do this enough? Do I, do I have enough in my pockets to afford this thing that I really, really want? But that he loved us. See, something different. See, of course we would love him because he's amazing. But that he loved us, but we're not amazing. We don't bring anything to the table for him. See, God loves us in spite of the fact that we're not awesome. In spite of the fact that he doesn't need anything. That we don't bring anything to him. This is a different kind of love. You see, where ordinary love seeks value, there's a different kind of love. A bold love that creates value. It's completely different than ordinary love. It actually creates value. You see, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that this, this bold love, this different love, it loves in a way that the one loved, listen to me, flourishes. Instead of, I am going to love you so long as you love me back. God brings a love to the table that says, I'm going to love you so that you flourish. That's completely different. That's totally transformative. That's completely different than anything you can experience in this world. You see, when you really take seriously the sacrificial love of God and what he accomplished on the cross... It's going to do something inside of you. It's going to start to change the way that you see things and the way that you feel things and the things that come out of us. There's implications to being loved in that way. Because, see, if, if I'm loved in a way that causes me to flourish, then what does flourishing look like? What, what, is a, what does a life that's flourishing encompass? See, 
loved people love people. And so this is what I'm saying. Is that if you, if you, if you think about the moment in your life when you realized, maybe for the first time, that you genuinely or as sincerely as you could understand were in love with another person. How did you come to the conclusion of what love even is? Here's what you did. You loved someone based on the love that you received or didn't receive in your past. You see, what, what shapes our idea of love initially is the way that we're loved. So we grow up in a system that trains us and teaches us what love is. And so when we fall in love with someone, what does that even mean? Well, it means whatever we think it means, and that is whatever we grew up in. And so loved people love the way they've been loved. Now, what happens if your love has been totally transformed? Then you start loving people the way you've been loved. See, bold love creates value. Now, look at the end of the verse. And sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins or the payment for our sins. You see that? Now, there's so much communicated there. But here's the point. The point is that God's love creates value in us because God sent his son as the payment for our sin. Now, think about it. Why did God do that? Did God do that in response to something we have done for him? No. God did that so that we might what? Flourish. You see, it's not a, it's a, there's a transaction that takes place in bold love, but it's a one-way transaction. The transaction takes place totally within the, the lover, not the love receiver. You see, he, there was a transaction, but it wasn't, if you do this for me, I'm going to give my son for you. The transaction was was in no way had anything to do with us because we didn't do anything for him. He just willfully chose to execute the transaction so that we could then flourish. That's an amazing reality. And so what happens is God's love created value in us. You see, if you think about it, what, what makes you valuable? What makes me valuable? How do we determine that? We can't uh, assess that in our own self-worth. We can't do that. How, how, do we, how do we... Because listen, if we do that ourselves, if we come up with that valuation on our own, what's going to happen? Well, some of us in the room are going to grossly exaggerate our value in egotism and self-esteem. 
while others of us in the room are going to desperately undervalue ourselves in condemnation and maybe regret and shame. No, our value must be based on God's determination of our worth, right? Because doesn't the Bible say in Mark chapter 10, didn't Jesus say, well, no one is good. Who's good? Every time someone came up to God and tried to play the game of, am I good enough? God never answers the question with yes or no. He always answers the question with, well, who is good? Because it's not a transaction. That's why. Only God can establish what is good, right? And so God says, well, every soul is valuable to him and worth saving. That's what he says. Look, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Valuable. What about Galatians 1, 4? Who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present age according to the will of Of our God and Father. Or for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. You see. What happens. What does it look like when we flourish? What happens? I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what happens. When we've tasted of this love, when we've been loved in a new and different way, what results from that? What happens when God creates value in me and you? Look at verse 11. God says, be loved. Now just stop right there. Think about this. What does the word beloved mean? Anytime you ascribe the word beloved to another person, it is a reference to their value, isn't it? Yes, that's what it means. It's a way for us to communicate how much someone means to us or even something because we could say that there's something that's beloved to us right and it is a it is an express communication tool to ascribe value and so in verse 11 God says beloved if God so loved us in other words if God puts value in us such that we become his beloved not because of a transaction between us and him but but between him and him if that happens we also what does it look like to flourish we also ought to love one another because loved people love and so boldly loved people love boldly Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. 
If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. See, it's been perfected in us. Notice what the passage doesn't say. It doesn't say, if God so loved us, we should love God in return. You see, this is something new. This isn't ordinary love. Instead, if God has loved us with this new and different kind of love, the response to that, because this love doesn't seek to gain value, this love gives value. So the response to that is that we love other people the way God has loved us. So see, the response to bold love is to give bold love. And you see, sometimes, sometimes we can start slipping back into ordinary love. We can start, if, if we don't constantly remind ourselves of the gospel, what happens is we can experience bold love and then start to operate in ordinary love and see, feel like our tank is empty. You ever felt that? Like sometimes I can feel like my tank is empty, like I don't have anything left to give, like I'm deficient. I need my cup to be filled up. But that's a clue. That's an indicator to me that I'm walking in the flesh and not in the spirit, that I'm operating in ordinary love and not in bold love because Bold, the Bible tells us about bold love in Romans 5. Now, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God or the bold love has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. See, we've been filled up with bold love. But we can find ourselves at times operating in ordinary love if we're not careful. You see, the reason, this is the reason that sometimes sometimes our marriages don't look radically different from the marriages of the world. Sometimes our parenting doesn't look radically different from the parenting of the world. That's an indication that we're operating in ordinary love. See, if we're not careful, we, we will operate not in bold love in our marriages, not in bold love with our children, but in ordinary love, and it will, it will deplete us, and it will drain us, and it will fail us because it won't last. It won't last. Do you know what the enemy is of bold love? What is the, what is the enemy that seeks to come into our lives and slay bold love and encourage us to operate or to revert back to ordinary love. Do you know what the enemy is? It's very simple. One key enemy that we have to always be on guard against. Self-righteousness. 
think about it with me. If we think that there's anything good in us, if we think that we're better than anyone else, if we think that we have in some way behaved well or earned the favor of God, we then have turned His love into a transaction and we're operating in ordinary love. You see, if we think that God loves us because there's something lovable about us, we're deceiving ourselves and we're reducing the love of God to what may be familiar to us or may be normal to us, but is absolutely positively not the love of God. See, He sent His Son at the end of verse 10 to be the propitiation of our sins. What does the Bible say? A few verses after the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts in Romans 5, 5, then in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His love in that while we were lovable, no, no, while we were sinners. You see the love, don't you see the progression here? The reason Paul says, hey, this love has been shed abroad in your heart. But remember, you're not, it's not because you're lovable. No, no, it's while you were yet a sinner Christ died for us. See, bold love loves the unlovable. So if you want to know if bold love is operating in your life, just ask yourself the question, do I love people that are unlovable? Do I love people who don't bring anything to this transaction? Do I love people who don't enrich my life, who don't make my life better, make me happier, meet my needs, fulfill my expectations? That's why the people of God, according to the Scripture, are so different from the people of the world. Because the fundamental foundation of life, love, has been radically altered. And it affects everything about us. Every way that we relate and the way that we think and the way that we operate. Everything about us. To the degree to which when we love boldly, it results in a revolution. Because remember a couple weeks ago how I challenged you to think about how the people most different from Jesus were most attracted to Jesus and how shocking it is in the New Testament to really wrap your head around how the sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes wanted to be with Jesus, that he didn't seek them out, that he didn't bring them in. They came to him. Bold love does that. It does that. It results in a revolution. Look at verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. At any time. But look at what the Bible says. If we love one another with bold love, with God's love, God abides in us and his love has been perfected or completed in us. It doesn't mean that we'll love perfectly. It means that we'll love completely, completely. See, God loves you this morning. He wants you to know how much He loves you. He loves you with a bold love, not an ordinary love. 
What have we been saying for weeks and weeks? God doesn't want something from you. That's a transaction. He wants something for you. That's to bring value. He wants you to flourish. That's the message of the gospel. That's why we're for 39503. You know what? Because God's for 39503. And you know what motivates us to do something crazy like this? Bold love. We go out as a people who have received bold love. Because God wants the people in 39503 to flourish. And you say, well, why do I care? I'm not related to them. I don't know them. They don't mean anything to me. If they flourish, it won't affect me or change me. It's because the Bible says if you, have been, if you think that you've been loved with bold love, the test is do you love others with bold love? Because if you don't, listen, Listen, you can, you can fight against it. You can argue in your mind. You can make up as many different scenarios as you want to. The bottom line is loved people love. And so the question is, how do you love? That will answer the question of how have you been loved or if you've ever been boldly loved. See, that's what God wants. He wants us to be messengers of this message. And here's the beautiful thing about it. We're not responsible for the results. We're just the delivery mechanism. I don't know where I'd be this morning if that invitation wouldn't have went in that mailbox of that young airman and his wife and his young family. You know, I thought I was going to get some profound information yesterday, so... I'm talking to my nearly 90-year-old mother-in-law who got that in the mail that day. And I said, tell me about the conversation. Like, how did that go? Two completely worldly lost people. How did that go? She said, Bill, her husband, walked into the room and he had this the mail in his hand he laid it down and he picked up this invitation and he showed it to his wife and she said do you want to go and he said okay
And here we are. God wants you to know this morning there's nothing you could ever do to make God love you more. There's nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. That's an ordinary love transaction. There's nothing you could do to earn his love. There's nothing you could do to deserve his love. All you can do is receive it as a free gift. So we go out today and you know what we're going to deliver? A free gift. A free gift. Because when we've received bold love, it's added value. It's brought, it's made something of us. See? Bold love doesn't take something from us. It makes something of us. Do you know what everyone out there in 39503 just sleeping in this morning and got all their beer cooling in the fridge for the big game and thawing out the meat for the grill and Whatever it is they got going today. Do you, know what they, do you know what they almost all think? They think that God wants something from them. That's what they think. And what we want them to know is, no, God wants something for you. And you know what that is? He, he wants... He wants you to know what we know. He wants you to experience what we've experienced. He wants you to hear the words, my beloved. So as we close this morning, I thought about what God what is God saying? Because see, as this is going on in here, there's things been going on out there all over these weeks and months and years preparing things for this moment. It didn't catch God by surprise. And God's been answering prayers that you all have been praying every day at 503. And so I thought about, well, what is God saying to Toby out there? I don't know, because God didn't tell me. But if I were to guess, maybe the way God answered it, I've been asking God, would you tell me what you've been saying to him? And all I was hearing was crickets. And then I was driving down the road, and I feel like God answered my question through the Theologian Lauren Daigle. And here's what he said. He said to Toby, I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. I will rescue 
you. 